What's going on, y'all? Welcome back to another episode of the Struggle to Strength podcast, your source for real-life application on how to turn your struggles into strengths in all things mind, muscle, and money. I am your host, Josh Levine. I am joined here by my longtime friend and my co-host, Travis Hatch. And today, y'all, we have the most unbelievable episode and guest to teach you guys how to maximize your potential with mental performance training. And I say you guys, but I learned so much during this episode. Our guest today, Jay Thuft, believes that if anybody working on any professional or personal development will be able to truly maximize their potential if they're provided with high quality mental performance resources early in this journey. You guys, mindset over everything, right? So right off the bat, I told Jay, I wish I had someone like him in high school and college to help me perform better, both athletically and just in, under pressure in general. So whether it's your sport, health and fitness, relationships, school, business, whatever it is you're hoping to maximize your potential in, this episode is going to blow your mind. I mean, think about it. Do you feel as though, for example, you suffer from ADHD or ADD, you have trouble maintaining or regaining focus? Do you wish you could harness your struggles as strengths to create a superpower like Joe Rogan does? Do you want to improve your performance in literally any arena? In this episode, we're going to dive deep into some proven mental performance hacks to maximize your potential. We're going to talk about how to achieve an elite performance mindset and how to build resilience in whatever your journey is. Jay gives away a ton of valuable pieces of content ranging from everything from the perk fit guide to winning your next moment to some very powerful exercises that we can do right at home to become more elite and resilient performers in all areas of your life. You guys, this was like literally blew my mind. I made a lot of connections to what I've been doing in therapy and everything. Like you cannot fucking miss this episode, okay? So before we get into it, we ask that if you love it, please give us five stars on Apple or a follow on Spotify. You know what? I know you will. So just scroll to the bottom of the page and click the five-star thingy, please. That would be huge. And if you want, you can also share this to your socials. You can find me at Josh Levine Fitness, Travis at Travis Hawks Media, and Jay at Train With Perk. That's P-E-R-C. Links are in the show notes. So go check them out while you're down there. Give us that five stars. That is it. Y'all, I cannot express, like I'm so excited still from this episode. I cannot express how impactful this episode is. You'll just have to listen for yourself. We'll see you inside. Yeah, I'm really excited to dive into it. And that guide that you got that you have on your website, that's a really good exercise. Yeah, good. Good. I'm glad you I'm glad you got some value from it. Yeah, I mean that's that's up there for everybody. Um, it's it's meant to help. I mean, basically I built that thing as if and it's happened so many times as if an athlete comes into my office on a Tuesday and they're like, Hey, you know, coach, yeah, I got this thing on like Monday. What are things that I can do, you know, over the weekend to help? Right. And obviously, you know, if I, if I had a shot in the butt to give everybody to, to make them more confident or to make them mentally perform better, I'd, I'd be on a private Island. There'd be somebody far more attractive than myself sitting here talking to you about all this stuff. But, um, that, that, that free guide is essentially three things that, that I think anybody can do to, to instantly just kind of overnight, you know, start to move themselves towards at least a better place. Um, going into some of those big moments when we face stress, pressure, adversity, all that good stuff. I didn't, mm -hmm. uh, I didn't get a chance to check it out. So what, what's on that, that guy now I'm super interested. <laughs> yeah. Cool exercise. yeah. I mean, Josh, why don't you walk through, walk them through it. Yeah. It's a cool exercise. So essentially, uh, if you go, well, first of all, if you go to, uh, Jay's website, uh, trainwithperk.com, um, and there's a free download there. And so basically you go, you grab that free download, 
Um, I already lost it, it looks like. It's somewhere in my downloads here. But essentially, it's a it's an exercise where you'll go through, and there's three different exercises to help you become more confident, help you overcome some of your negative, uh, your limiting beliefs. And it's as simple as like drawing a circle on a square, a, a circle on a piece of paper, and then another circle inside it. And going through the exercise. So you're actually coming to your own answers, which I think is the most important part. And I've always thought this way about whether it's uh, hacking, like limiting beliefs in somebody, or if it's even in therapy, which I'm a huge proponent of, it always works better when you answer it yourself. And I think that your exercise did a very good job of, of, uh, of getting us there. Yeah, essentially, it's it's a couple of self-aware. I mean, the, the mechanism that underpins all of that is really just awareness, right? And I think that's probably one of the biggest things that I, I've certainly seen the athletes that I work with, whether it's, you know, the Olympic athletes that I worked with some time ago or the pros that I have now or, you know, specifically the, the developing athletes that I have now is it's pretty remarkable how few of those athletes have like a very deep understanding of, for example, one of the exercises is what does it actually look like for you to be at your best? What does that look like mentally and physically and really kind of deep diving in a, at a really intimate level? You know, what, how would you describe your mental state? How would you describe your physical state? And a mental state is really made up of two things. It's how your mind feels. That's what we're all usually pretty aware of, right? I feel confident. I feel, you know, good. I feel optimistic. I feel positive. Certainly all that has a, has a role in it. But also if we think about the brain as a tool, as something that we need to actually leverage um, to be able to get our mind to do the things that we need to be able to do. Um, the second part of a mental state is what is your mind actually doing? Like, like from an operating system standpoint. So for example, where is your focus being placed, right? How, how in-depth is your concentration? How are you handling distractions with what efficiency? How do you respond to certain situations? And it's a really, really important place to start because I think I get a lot of athletes <clears throat> that come to me that, you know, I'm struggling with confidence. I'm struggling with being able to focus. I really have a hard time dealing with pressure. And they're always focused on this is what I'm struggling with. Well, the place that I start with them is to say, well, let's take a step back and let's try and understand what does it actually look like to you for you to be performing at a high level. And I think anybody can use, I mean, that exercise is designed for, you know, younger developing athletes, but I think anybody in any craft, in any industry, we all have a mental state that we're able to operate from when we're absolutely at our best. And if we, and we need to have a really deep understanding of what that place looks like, because it's from there that we can really, you know, pull out that high performance that we're looking for consistently. I think it's really valuable. I think that, um, you know, even in my own my own past, I, I've definitely noticed that there are times where I've buckled under pressure. And it had definitely happened more than I would like. You know, it's like there's a lot of pressure on you, game winning shot at the end of the, at the at the end of the, the the game and and everything's on you. That's a lot of pressure. You need to be able to handle that. And what I've always thought was interesting, and and as you're talking through this, I was thinking this uh, this exact thing is like, I think I know that I am good in a lot of high pressure situations. Um, not all high pressure situations. For example, I'm really good at taking tests. I'm very good at taking tests, but that same level of pressure in a different avenue may prove to be a little challenging for me. And I've always been curious about that. Yeah, I love I love talking about pressure. Um, what what are the areas you feel like you struggle in with pressure? Um, struggle with pressure would be like a very high. Um, I don't know if high. That's not the right word. Um, 
for example, if there is an accident, somebody gets hurt. Sure. Um, you know, being able to identify what to do first, who to address first, yeah, uh, and and keep the order of the steps that I'm supposed to take in my brain, yeah, um, in that really high pressure situation, yeah. can be challenging. And I think a lot of people, you know, a lot of people may agree with that. A lot of people may freeze in that situation. It's you know, it's always like the superhero in the TV show that doesn't freeze and is you know shows up in Superman pose and has everything cool, calm, and collected. Um, but that's something that I've thought of because it's definitely happened in the past. Yeah. I think it's really important to be able to discern the difference between stress and pressure, right? Cause stress is a, is a response to pressure, but pressure isn't necessarily stress. Right. So let's, let's kind of tease that out a little bit. So I think you, you spoke to a little bit about like test taking versus like an accident. Okay. Well, an accident, you know, when somebody's in that situation, that's just going to trigger just a fundamental stress response. When we think about pressure, and we all feel pressure. Pressure, and it's really important to understand where it comes from. Pressure is intimately tied to identity. Okay. And so let's unpack that for a second. So a person's identity, your identity, identity, Josh, and your identity, Travis, is really made up of two things. A, how you see your value to the world. And B, how you feel as though the world around you values you. So for example, if you what I mean, what is kind of the, the obviously your podcast host kind of what's the what's the high pressure situation that you've kind of been in, whether it's a speaking engagement or a business phone call, or have you had one of those moments kind of come up with it recently? That's pretty funny. I'm actually usually in speaking engagements. I'm usually pretty good. I don't I don't do a lot of preparation, um, but uh, in the current circumstances, um, as far as it pertains to my business, I think that. There can be some high pressure situations in my business in terms of some of the things that I run in order to uh, in order to grow. Right now, we're doing kind of like a, a a fitness challenge that we're running, and um, I think when 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 these things come up, yeah. you're right. It's stress, and it makes me kind of run a little bit high, and my heart rate continues to get a little bit elevated, um, and it can be difficult for me to think clearly. And I find myself uh, inside, you know what you know, in speaking with my therapist, we talk about like the window of opportunity. If you're familiar with polyvagal theory, mm-hmm. um, I find myself in a, many different circumstances, knowing when I'm in my window of, oper- of, of, um, what's it called? The window of tolerance. That's what it is. Um, and then I rise into that hyper aroused state. Decision-making starts to, to slow, uh, become, to, I, I start thinking less logically, more emotionally. And, I'm always trying to identify when I'm outside of my window to bring myself back in so I can make good decisions. I can be a, a more effective human. Yeah. Um, so I, I do find it in some, some cases in my work. When I'm under yeah, and I, th- I think that's a good point too, because I think a lot of people, they, they sense, and a lot of the athletes that I work with, especially the younger ones and maybe the ones that are trying to break into either the pro ranks or the college ranks or, <clears throat> or even at the higher level, I think it's really important to understand that pressure in and of itself is not a bad thing. Pressure, what it really is, it's a sign that you're doing something that's meaningful and impactful in your life. Because again, if if pressure is closely identified, closely tied to identity, and identity is, you know, for me, how I see my value to the world, as well as how do I perceive the world around me values me. The phenomenon known as psychological pressure occurs when we feel as though we're in a situation where, based on the outcome of that situation, our it, it, it creates this threat to that worth that we feel. 
Okay. So let's take, you know, so I have just got off the phone with a 16 year old gymnast. Okay. And she's, you know, at that level where she's about to break into, she needs to get to this place. And then she's basically a lock for a division one scholarship. <clears throat> she has spent the last 12 years of her life as a gymnast. So it's fair to say that gymnastics has become a big part of probably how she sees her value, as well as how the world around her finds value in her, her parents, her coaches, her teammates, right? A big part of her life. And for better, or for worse, we'll talk about what, what happens when, when something, when what we do becomes too much of our value. But think about that. She's spent such a long time and it's become a, such a big part of her identity. And now she goes into this upcoming competition and quite literally based on the outcome of that identity, she perceives that, for example, if she fails, that would be a threat to then her worth. That would be a threat to then how maybe she finds value in herself, as well as based on the outcome here, that could threaten how the people around her find value in her. That's how she perceives it. That will then create the, the, the phenomenon known as psychological pressure, right? So, mm-hmm. For those that are listening, we all have we're all we all have a craft, right? My craft is high performance psychology. You guys have a craft, the listeners have a craft. We are going to feel the sensation of pressure when we enter a situation where based on the outcome, if we perceive that the value that we have to either ourselves or to the people around us, if if that's threatened, then we are going to feel that sensation of pressure. But pressure in and of itself is not a bad thing. We just need to understand it. And the difference between performers that can perform at a high level and those that, you know, kind of that buzzword choke in those moments, the difference is whether or not you have a productive relationship with the pressure itself, whether or not you understand it. That makes a lot of sense. A lot of sense as a former competitive snowboarder and now a bodybuilder. Um, and when we have a lot of either entrepreneurs, bodybuilders, uh, hardcore fitness enthusiasts that listen to this podcast, and I think that your description of identity, it's very fitting. It makes a lot of sense. I think it's easy to get caught up in, you know, back in, in my competitive snowboarding days, I was a snowboarder. I was a snowboarding guy. When I didn't compete well, that was a threat to my identity. It made, it made me less of a snowboarder guy. And now as a bodybuilder, you know, if we step on stage, we don't do well, we don't show up well, then that can threaten our identity. And then especially as a business owner, and in this example that I've given you in, in, you know, we're running this challenge. If the challenge doesn't go well, if it doesn't lead to uh, acquisition of new clientele, if, if it doesn't uh, prove to be effective, then that threatens my identity as an entrepreneur. So how can we create a better relationship with that identity without, without like not being an entrepreneur without not being a body. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's because that's the ultimate balance. Right. Because I mean, these athletes that we see on TV at the highest level, obviously, you know, the the NFL players that we watch on TV every Sunday, like their sport is a big part of who they are. And it's a big part of their identity. However, there is something known as overinvestment. And that's what happens when we see somebody or something become too much of what somebody is to where it starts to become unproductive, either in their specific performance or what we don't often see is in other areas of their life. And I think that's the thing, right? Because you'll, you'll, you'll see these athletes who, you know, and who just have a incredible level of success, right? Michael Phelps is a tremendous example, just an incredible, incredible level of success. And Obviously, swimming became such a big part of his identity, but there's so much that we didn't see. And I think a lot of people will correlate, especially younger athletes who aspire to perform at a high level, 
they think that, well, in order for me to get to that place, I mean, he must not feel pressure. He must not feel all of the emotions of that moment, right? Like somebody who wants to be a bodybuilder like Josh Levine, they see Josh Levine is like, oh, I got to get to that place where like I'm fearless and I'm not worried and I'm not anxious and I'm not feeling any pressure. And what they don't realize is that Josh Levine is feeling all of those things when he's up there. Josh Levine is feeling all that Michael Phelps was feeling all of those things when they were up there, but they were able to find a way through some work to, in spite of that, in spite of the pressure, in spite of all of the emotions that are trying to take their mind away, that's trying to impact negatively that mental state that is supposed to line up with optimal performance. In spite of all of that, they're able to take the actions that, they're, that they need to be able to take in terms of where do I place my focus? How do I talk to myself? How do I choose to respond to the adversity? Those are all skills. And so it's it's really about changing the relationship with pressure so that we don't necessarily find it threatening. We need to be able to check in with ourselves and say, you know, do what can I remind myself that I'm also a significant other in this situation, that I'm also a friend, that I'm also somebody's child, that I'm also, you know, I, I have other areas in my life that are important, right? If you're a parent, we have to remind ourselves and check in about that. But it's really a matter of first thing is, you know, you need to, you know, one of the things that I'll have people do is, you know, kind of back to basically create a pie chart, create a pie chart on the, uh, on a piece of paper and with percentages, write down, you know, what percentage of your value or well, what percentage of the time, energy, effort, or your impact on your emotional state does this thing that you do have on your life? And many times people that are really allowing what they do to become too much of who they are and negatively impact other areas of their life, that's a big portion of that pie. And they're not maybe attending to the other roles that they play. So it's really about finding balance. And just because you find balance, that doesn't mean that you care any less about what you do. It's just a matter of you need to be able to recognize and understand that if this thing becomes too much of who I am, that's really going to be unproductive, both maybe, maybe, maybe not in my performance, but also in the rest of my life. And then you circle that back to Michael Phelps and you watch that Weight of Gold documentary. That's the toll that we don't see. Right. That's the psychological toll that we don't see. That's maybe the impact negatively on the relationships that we don't necessarily see. Um, so I think it's it's a little bit of a myth um, when people aspire to be these these athletes and they say, well, I must not have to feel emotion or I must not you know, feel pressure in order to perform at that level. And that's just not the case at all. In fact, that's a really unhealthy and unproductive way of viewing our emotions and viewing stress itself. It, this is so interesting to me to hear you talk about this because I, for pretty much our whole lives, Travis, yeah. you probably agree with this. Like our whole lives, we've been taught, Hey, if you want to be great, obsession is a necessity. I've always felt that way too. And like, there's, you know, you have to be completely hardcore, laser focused, disciplined on this one thing. And as far as the emotion piece goes, I think that that's often, uh, sort of, you know, kind of overplayed in the media as well. And you know, my, my first thought is the, uh, Travis, what was the El Capitan free? Oh, free solo. Free solo. That guy, uh, where they're like, oh, he doesn't feel fear. And so it plays into this idea that like these people who excel in these areas don't feel the emotion that everybody else would, but it's not that they don't feel it. They've just learned how to work through it and probably in a combination of both exercise outside of that area of expertise and actually competing in that area of expertise. And also like the guy in free solo, for instance, um, I don't know how much this is the reason or if 
it's, you know, something else and it caused that. But like when they did studies on his brain, they found the area of his brain that experienced fear to be like way smaller than a normal person. Yeah. yeah there was so, that. so you do see like that as an example, but what about the other like 7 billion people who have normal brains? Like they have to live happy and productive lives. So, you know what yeah. I'm saying? Like there's going to be the random, you know, uh, like, uh, what, what is it? Like Spider-Man gets bit by a, like a <laughs> spider and becomes a superhero. Yeah. Once in a while, there's going to be someone who's like, yeah, that uh, radioactive material turns them into a superhero, but most people, it's probably going to kill them and give them radiation poisoning. You know what I mean? I don't know if that's kind of a yeah. weird analogy, but like, yeah, I mean, if you're like a normal- <laughs> I get it. I, 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 told, I, like, I totally uh, relate to this because I think when I, um, when I started doing like real estate investing as like, I, mm. I got super interested in that. That's a thing that I was able to become successful at. That honestly helped my business so much because it took a lot of pressure off of the like, well, I'm a videographer, I'm an entrepreneur, like that's what I do, like this has to be successful. There's honestly like a huge um, kind of like subconscious thought of mine where it's like, I don't, like if I fail, I still have this a whole other thing that I do that I really like, you know? I love and, that you, I love that you said that because, yeah. and not to cut you off here, but no, to, no, no, yeah. you know, to really drive this point at home, you said, once I put some focus into a real estate, becoming a real estate investor, it took some of the pressure off of my business. You could literally substitute the pressure off of with it. The moment that I became a real estate investor, less of my value was tied into my business because I can be valuable in other areas of my life. And then thus, I'm going to probably be able to open some some mental space up to perform better in my business. I didn't mean to cut you off there, but like no, if you can literally it. substitute the pressure off with my value is, you know, elsewhere or I can reallocate some of my value as a person, then, yes, the pressure is going to be off. It seems yeah. so counterintuitive, too, because you're like, hey, I want to get better at this one thing. And we're like, cool, don't focus on it so much. Try something different because you're going to be good at that, too. And there will be less pressure. So obviously this is something that people can do like, like Travis has done outside of sports, outside of athletics, outside of hobbies. Um, but just in your life, mm -hmm. you know, I think Travis had a really good example there of ways that we as entrepreneurs can excel more effectively in one area by actually oddly enough, focusing on another. I think it's just a matter of balance, right? I think that yes, and, and you absolutely see the people um, that will just throw everything, blood, sweat, tears, heart, soul, everything into whether it's business or their career or, or their sport. And yes, they're going to achieve a certain level of success. But again, I guess my point is, what are we sacrificing? What yeah. is the person who throws the entirety of who they are into their career? What other areas are they sacrificing? Because eventually, eventually the fact that we're a whole person is going to rise up and bubble up, you yeah. know, and, you know, for example, I've got a, I've got a client who's in private equity, right? Which is of all the things outside of sport, probably like the most high stakes cutthroat environment that like I've ever been made aware of outside of the military where you literally, the stakes are your life. Right. So you know, this is an individual who just threw his entirety into his career, right? The dude makes like $650,000 a year. He gets like a 40% bonus. Like he's, he's generational wealth. He's never going to be, he's never going to worry about money. It's a very, what some would say, privileged position to be in. But the dude's miserable. 
doesn't have connections, doesn't have strong connections with, with, with people around him, doesn't feel like he has genuine relationships, can't think about anything other than work, can't get away from it, all this other stuff. And he eventually got to a point where it was impacting his performance. So it doesn't, like eventually we find a ceiling and eventually I'll argue that the fact that we're a human being and that we're not just an athlete, we're not just a career person, we're not just a podcast host, I'm not just a mental performance expert. Eventually the rest of our humanity is going to come and just kind of, you know, just get in the way a little bit. Yeah. I, I love this point because it's, it is like you hear from, you don't hear this that often and you, you hear, mm -hmm. it's like, what are you, what are you focusing on? You know, like, cause yeah. this is, it's a very American idea almost like it's a very like American society idea, which is like, you know, work really, really hard, become an expert at this thing. And you do see the people who I, and a lot of them are selling courses you know, that you have to think about that. They're selling books and courses, but you do see the people who are like, look, this is how I did it. And that's why I'm so successful. And you don't see that the rate of deaths of despair or heart disease at an early age that like a lot of those people are going to like, it's just a reality of it. If you're, you know, if that's yeah. all you do and that's all you are. And like the pressure of that over, you know, 40 years, like I'd love to see statistics, but I guarantee that those people are probably having a lot of like health issues you know, it's all good when you're like 25, 30, but like eventually you're going to be 50 and 60. And like, what's your life going to be like then? You know, well, look at, look at the professions such as doctors and, um, you know, high level, you know, high level doctors and all the hours and the burnout and private equity and the burnout and doctors and the substance abuse and both of those things. I mean, it's the, the proof is right there. All you, you just have to look for it. Yeah. And I think, I think you make a great point, Travis. I think we've definitely kind of romanticized this idea of kind of the rise and grind mentality. And listen, I've, I've worked my butt off to get where I'm at. I, I definitely go sprints where I'll work. 14, 20 days in a row. But, and I think you can do that, but you always have to be able to take a step back and remind yourself and invest in other areas of your life to remind yourself that I'm just, I, I am not in totality this thing that I am doing. Because if that becomes the case, you're just setting yourself up for so many other, like you said, just kind of health ramifications, levels of happiness, ramifications, substance abuse, just whatever it is, whatever it is that you need to feel like you need to do to cope because you can't cope any other way because you can't get rid of the thing that you spent all your time doing. Yeah. I, I really like, um, uh, Gary, Gary V is like somebody that I, that I follow. He talks a lot about patience. Uh, yeah. and I like that idea because yeah, you do have to be kind of impatient in a way to be successful. Like you have yeah. to be like, no, 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 no. I'm like, I'm doing that now. You know, I'm going to give myself a month to do that. Urgency. Ur there has to be yeah. urgency, but like, but like you also have to understand that I, I think if, if you apply patience to that, as in, I'm going to have urgency, these are the things I focus on, but instead of it going, being a hundred percent work all the time, it's going to be 60% work, 20% friendship, 20% family, what, however you want to split that up. And then, you know, per, looking at percentages, it's like, okay, maybe it takes me 40% longer to do that, but I still get yeah. to where I wanted to be just five to 10 years later and I'm healthy and happier. I'll take that any day, dude. Yeah. Like, like how dude. many millions of dollars do you want? You know, I, I was struggling with that exact thing earlier this year. I was grinding myself to the bone to build my business. And I was, you know, to, to Jay's point, I was identifying as a fitness coach, an entrepreneur. And like, that's what I was. And I was grinding and I was 
tired all the time and other parts of my life were starting to suffer. And I realized that I was being kind of selfish in a lot of ways. And just like you said, Travis, I had a, a conversation with my business coach and he was like, what's the rush, dude? Mm-hmm. He's like, you're paying the bills, right? You're living, you're living well. You're, you're living below your means. Like you're doing all right. He's like, what's the rush? He's like, slow down. You'll, yeah, perspective. Exactly. He's like, you'll make, you'll make your first million dollars. I can promise you that it just doesn't have to be next month. Right. It doesn't have to be this year. Yeah. And I, I took a step back. I started putting more energy and effort into my relationships, into my bodybuilding, into other aspects of my life, into being a son, a brother, a, uh, like other things that I knew I could identify with. And it made a massive difference yep. in a lot of areas of my life. I think, you know, like what, what, what I've had to work on as well and what I've worked on kind of, because I've got to, t- I've got to eat my own pie, right? I got to take my own medicine as well. So everyone, I'm, I'm just as much of a human being and I get caught up in it as well, but it's hard. One of the things that I worked on though. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's obnoxious. <laughs> is what it is. It's obnoxious <laughs> yeah. to like know exactly what you're doing wrong. Cause yeah. you just, yeah. <laughs> you just got off the phone call with somebody and you had a great conversation about what they do. And then you walk away and you're like, Darn, that yeah. uh, <laughs> kind of hits a little. <laughs> that's really irritating. Uh, it's really shit. inconvenient. Um, yeah, God. Um, but you know, so for example, right, this individual in private equity, he travels to, you know, you know, out of fourteen days, he's gone on the road for twelve days, and that's not going to change. That's not going to change. But my point with him was, okay, so you're gone twelve out of the fourteen days. That's not the issue. The issue is that the two days that you have off when you're home with your wife, what are you doing? You're thinking about work. You're talking to her about work. You're pissing and moaning about work. You're worried about what you got coming up the next week. You just can't get away from it. And that's, I'm not telling anybody not to grind, right? Because I do the same thing. I work my butt off. You guys work your butt off. But the point is, is that when you go out to dinner with the, with a significant other, or you go meet the buddies for a beer, that you're in that moment too that you can detach and you can step back because you're not just that person. That's where the problem becomes. And that's where people run into into problems with their relationship is that you just spent 12 out of 14 days on the road, dude. And then you went out to dinner. What'd you guys talk about? You just sat there and bitched about your job. Sorry. Complained about your job the entire time. Oh, you're good. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know. Um, (laughs) Yeah. That hits. Cause you know what I mean? I, I think a lot of people struggle with that. I have as well in, I, I've been trying very hard this past year or two to, well, one, I'm on this entire journey of self-discovery and trying to be more present. And I realized, and and your point actually kind of flipped a switch a little bit where I I think I understand things now from a different level is like the word identity and perspective I think can be very closely attached to one another where, or not perspective, a presence. So when I'm doing something, I want to be present in that moment. And like you're talking about your, your client who is, you know, hardcore workaholic grinding all the time. He can be that at work. He can identify as a workaholic at work, right? He can like identify as that person in that position. But once he gets home to his wife, he needs to be a husband. Mm. So he needs to, and, and I think that for me, that makes a lot more sense of like when I am, whatever I am doing to help me be present I need to identify a little bit more with what I'm doing now and a little bit less with my work, for example. Without question. I mean, it, 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 the, the first conversation that I have with every single client and when a, when a client wants to work with me, they apply, we have an interview 
And, you know, the minimum commitment is four months, right? Because we're not here to do anything. This is not an a la carte service. We're not here to just kind of have a few conversations and hope for the best. We're here to make significant, lasting psychological change. In, in, in with my clients, that generally means psychological change to move you to or towards a higher level of performance. Like I, I, I'm on the side of psychology to where I don't work with like the, the mental health side of things. I, I love, I, I love that that work exists. My work, my, my, my passion is working with individuals that want to achieve a higher level of performance. But anyway, the single biggest conversation that I have with them and the very first point that I make with them is that every single thing that we are going to do for the next four months in some way, shape or form has to do with your attention. The single biggest asset that you have as a person, as a performer, in whatever role in your life is your attention, specifically what you pay or give your attention to. When we think about confidence, think about focus, when we think about self-talk, when we think about handling adversity or managing stress or doing a pre-performance routine of any, any, whatever they need, it all comes down to really three questions. Where is your attention? Is your attention where it should be? And if not, what are you going to do to get it back there? And that has everything to do with pressure and identity and everything that we're talking about. But it really just comes back to the single biggest resource or asset that you have as a person is your attention. That makes a lot of sense. It's, and very hard to do, by the way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking about this in some of these high pressure situations that I've been in. And it's like, yeah, losing focus, losing attention. And it, it is very hard to overcome all those voices inside your head and everything else that's going on in order to get that back. So I'm really interested in, in learning a little bit more about what types of exercises will help people accomplish this. Obviously, like, let's not give away the farm here, but like, what can people do? Because otherwise, I think a lot of people will just go into um, these situations thinking that they're only going to learn when they're in that situation. Mm -hmm. But there are things that we can do to prepare ourselves to be more well-equipped for those situations. So like, obviously you have this guide that has, that, that we can download off the internet. That's massively helpful. What are some other things that we can do on our own to help keep our attention where it should be to help establish a better relationship with our identities, things of that nature? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, a, a core tool that I teach is, is really some, some semblance of mindfulness and it just depends on like how complex that we're going to get being. And, and I get mindfulness has kind of become like this buzzword on the internet. All mindfulness really means is like awareness of your attention. That's really what it is. So any sort of mindful training or mindfulness-based work is you're really trying to you're really trying to gain discipline or at least an understanding or an awareness of where your attention is in any given moment and then trying to be able and then working to get it back towards it. So the absolute simplest mindfulness exercise that I've ever been able to come up with, and this works for a 10, the 10 year old that I work with, it works for the 20 year old and it works for the 35 year old that I work with. It's an exercise called count your breathing. It's going to drive people nuts how simple it sounds, but how hard it is. Mm -hmm. So essentially you find yourself in a, in a quiet place with as minimal outside distractions and you can kind of level up if you want to, you know, challenge yourself and, and put yourself in a much more distracting environment, but it's helpful to start kind of in like a static environment, same like you would do like with yoga or any other type of meditative type of exercise, but basically sit in a room, sit in a chair, close your eyes and count your breath in and out is one in and out is two. And the moment that your mind wanders to the work that you got to do another thought, what's my dog doing? What am I going to eat? Oh, I got this thing coming up. Some, anytime your mind wanders to anything other than your breathing, you write down the number that you got to and you start the count over And the majority of people that I've worked with 
if if they're honest with themselves, they never get above seven for like the first two minutes of this. They might flirt with fifth, like 10 or 15 after a couple minutes if they just don't get, but it's it's remarkably frustrating. And the, the point that I make, especially with my athletes is that, isn't it interesting how you expect yourself as a high performer or as somebody who needs to perform that in the stressful, dynamic, pressure-filled environment of sport, that you just expect that you're going to exert 100% control over your attention in that moment, but yet you can't do it mm-hmm. in a quiet room with your breathing. Mm-hmm. Easiest, yeah. easiest way to start. And it's going to, it's going to blow people's minds. And, and I think the, the, the key to that exercise is like you said, patience, right? Like being patient with yourself, recognizing that this is actually going to be a lot harder um, than what you think it is, but it's a remarkably simple exercise. You can do it for however long you want, but again, just in and out is one in and out is two in and out is three. The moment that your mind wanders to anything other than your breathing, you write down the number and you have to start that count over. I really, I really like that. And I, I have my clients do deep breathing exercises and mostly in like to help them sleep yeah. in, in, in many cases, right? Like go to a dark room an hour or so before bed and just deep breathing exercise for five or 10 minutes. What I really like about this is the, well, one, yes, you're right. It's going to piss a lot of people off. Anybody who's ever tried to meditate is like, fuck this shit. Right. But, but the the counting part and writing down the number that you got to this is just progressive overload essentially yeah, yeah. like you you get to five one day you might not get to six tomorrow you not, might not get to six the day after that but eventually you're going to get to six and you're going to know that you're seeing an improvement and that makes it i think a lot more easily digestible rather than just like oh i breathed for two minutes and i still feel like shit i think i think that's why people like when they hear meditation like oh god like what's the point right and and yep. i get it i get it and and it's it's obnoxious because the point of meditation is that there is no point and that just throws people for a loop so it, it's helpful to kind of introduce the idea um it's helpful to kind of introduce the idea as to give them like a specific task to work on but you're you're absolutely right but what it really does and it, and it really trains both elements of focus because there's two elements of focus the first one is the ability to just focus in on a task. That's the one that we're really aware of. But the other aspect of focus and probably the more important one is how quickly can you rebound from distractions? Because we can all focus intently for a long period of time, but then that darn phone rings. And then we all of a sudden, next thing I know, I'm on Instagram and you, and you stay you stay down that mm-hmm. hole too long. Or as an athlete, right? You're focused, you're focused, you're focused. You make a mistake. And now you're thinking about what your coach is going to say. Now you think about what your spouse or your parents are going to say, or what what's going to happen here. And all of a sudden, you're just you've spent you you know you you focused intently for five seconds. You just spent 15 distracted. So there's really two important elements of that, and that's what that exercise treat, trains you is it's not just focus on your breathing, but it's recognize then as well when your attention has now gotten away from you, and then have the discipline to bring it back. I think that's a super important thing for everybody to be able to learn, and especially. I'm ADHD is all hell. Like I, I know it's really challenging for me to focus. And if I have to switch tasks, it takes me a long time, but improving my ability to focus and regain focus when I've lost it, I can only imagine it's going to help both of those things. Especially in high pressure situations. I think people have some misconceptions about the ADHD brain because people only focus on the aspect of the brain that gets distracted. But yet there's been several, several, several athletes, thousands of athletes that have had ADHD, but, and I work with them that, that continue to have like, you know, a really successful career. The ADHD mind, and this is something that we looked at when I was down at the Olympic training center is really a mind of extremes, which means that yes, you can also have extreme distraction. But if you train yourself and you place enough 
importance on it, you can also lock in on a level that some people can't quite get to. So I think we yes. forget about that, that it's a, it's not, it, ADHD does not mean, well, I can't focus. It means that you mm-hmm. really struggle with extreme distraction, but if you work on it, you, or even, you know, an ADHD person, you've had those moments where you just lock in and you're good. It's a brain of extremes. Mm-hmm. I think ADHD and anxiety, both are brains of extremes, yes, right? Yes. And so I suffer from both. But what you're talking about, if anybody has, uh, if anybody wants like a concrete example of this, think of Joe Rogan, right? Joe Rogan all the time talks about using his mental illness as a superpower. So if you are suffering from something, like there is a way for you to harness it. You just have to learn how. I truly believe that. And so this is something that I'm going to commit to. I'm definitely going to start practicing mindfulness a lot more often than I do. It's been something I've been wanting to get back to. I love the counting exercise. Um, and, and this seems like it would be really helpful for a lot of people. So I love that. Another thing I'm thinking of is in order to help people establish a healthier relationship with going back to identity, um, I'm thinking that some sort of exercise where you write down your different identities and what yes. you identify with would be helpful. Do you ha- is, is, is that part of the process that you use? Yeah, that's kind of the second half of that like pie chart exercise, right? Is you write down all of your roles. So the first step to try and identify that imbalance is write down all of your roles, right? And then basically try and identify like a percentage of how much of each of these roles determines my mood or gets my focus or determines like my happiness level. Like if you're really honest with yourself and there's obviously a deeper exercise there. And generally the people that are over-invested in something, they realize that they actually don't pay a ton of attention to the people around them or to their children or to their parents or to their spouse. Right. Or in it's in it's driving or, you know, how much of each of these roles is driving you, even your unhappy. Right. That sort of thing. And then the idea is to take that circle, draw a new circle, and then in an optimal world, what would that pie chart look like in terms of basically importance, right? What would that look like? And then from there, what are the specific actions? And I'm very action oriented, like person centered, like that's my style. I think everything comes down to regardless of what we feel, regardless of how hard it is, regardless of the, you know, of the pressure that we feel or the stress that we're facing or the adversity, what actions do we take? Right. And, and then it's really a matter of, can you either, if it's, if it's with somebody like myself or just with yourself, what actions can I take more to exist more in the productive optimal circle than the one where what I do just controls every aspect of who I am, my mood, my thought process, my level of happiness or unhappiness, all that stuff. That's powerful. I really like these two, these exercises. This is, uh, this is something that I think, uh, you know, if, if you're listening to this, I feel like this is something that you should do. It's definitely going to be helpful in, in, a, in a lot of different ways. And so now is this something that people continuously do? Or is this like a, do, do we do like reassessments every now and then, or how do we work through this like road to elite? I guess you might say. I think it's interesting. I think once you, again, the reason in a, I get awareness isn't like the, the sexiest mental skill in the world and it's not the, the most exciting thing, but I think that it's valuable though. Yeah. The, the reason that awareness is so important is that it's like, you know, what's two plus two? Four. 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 Why is it not five or six or 18? Cause it's not <laughs> like, once you know something, you can't unknow it. So once you like with my person, in, like the private equity, like once he recognizes that he's out to dinner with his wife and he has that moment where he's talking about work and then he takes a step back and he's like, this is that thing. This is that thing that I'm not supposed to be doing. Right. I do this. 
and then and then he and then he can course correct. Uh-huh. So it's really a matter of can you always work in some way, shape, or form? I think it's an ongoing process, but can you always just work or at least take a step back from some of those moments and be aware? Ask yourself, where's my mind at right now? Is this where it should be? No, darn it. All right, I got to get back here. And then let me take that action to get back here. That's why awareness, while just the most blah term in the world, that's why it's so important because it, it just goes back to why two plus two is four. Once you know something and once you're aware of something, you're no longer unaware. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. And I, I've seen that play out in myself, um, in my relationships. It, it, you know, we learn something about ourselves. We learn something that we do and then we catch ourselves doing it. And we're like, wait a minute, this looks familiar. Kind of like a deja vu type moment. Yes. And now every now and then we call it a vibe check. Every yep. now and then we're like in the middle of something, feel something coming on quick vibe check. I'm like, think about where you're at, what you're doing, what the intent is, uh, where you want to go. And like, is this conducive? Is this getting us there? It's like um, in psychology, like we that. call this ability to be, the ability to create space, right? So if you have an unproductive you know, mindset around stress or pressure or a certain situation, can you create enough space between yourself and that thing? And the problem that most people struggle with is that when they're unaware, the stress and their response are the, are the they're fused together. They're just like, when I'm in this situation, this is how I respond. When somebody makes me angry, I want to punch them in the face, <laughs> right? When somebody cuts me off in traffic, I run them off the road, but we don't do that because the majority of people in the world, when somebody cuts them off in traffic, they take a step back and, and, and the ones who are really productive, like, wow, I'm really angry right now. I am tempted to run this person off the road, but I don't. And it's a it's an overly simple and a little bit there's a little bit of humor to there as well. It's intended, but it's a really a matter of can you create enough space between stress or whatever the stressor is and whatever your conditioned or habitual response that's unproductive has been? Can you create enough space to then ask yourself, is that really productive? Is that really? But but that's it. But but that never happens unless maybe outside of that stress response or outside of that situation, we're able to say, you know, that's probably not the best way to operate. Yeah. The aware, the awareness component is key. If you're not aware, then you're not going to understand what you're doing or why you're doing it. So that awareness component is really key. So would it be safe to say that most of the like top level elite performers in the world are just incredibly aware people? incredibly self-aware people, the ones that have a lasting career that are able to stay in it. Yeah. I would say, I think everybody, I think, I think you definitely see the athletes that they make it to us. Everybody has a ceiling, right? I'll, I'll say that, right. Everybody has a ceiling. Everybody has a ceiling where if you're not aware, if you haven't put work into this, eventually you run into that situation. And those are, you know, sometimes those are the unfortunate situations that we hear about athletes or even high performers when they get caught up in their sport, right. Eventually, and like Travis had alluded to, eventually, it wears you down, it burns you out, and either you fizzle out or you do something stupid or you get tied up in something that you shouldn't have because you don't know how to cope with it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it goes back to you know the athletes that are able to perform at a high level or just the individuals that are able to perform at a sustained high level of their craft. Eventually, they have to get to a place where just like my guy in private equity, right? Eventually he has to get to a place, although he's, he was going to burn out. Like there's just no chance that he can, or, or he was going to start relying on substances and that just wasn't going to go down a good path as well. Right. So it's a long winded answer to yes. Yeah. I mean, you can see like someone like Tom Brady has had one of the most like longevity wise has had one of the most impressive careers of any athlete ever. Um, 
yeah, definitely like top, top, top. Uh, and yeah. just look, look how he is with his family. You know what I mean? You think he uh -huh. talks about football around his wife and kids? Like no way. I bet Giselle didn't tolerate that. I yeah, guarantee that. No way. Yeah. Like he's like, yeah. and you know what? She probably doesn't talk about modeling. Yeah. Nope. Yeah. He, he clearly like, at least from like, I'm not, you know, we're not in the room with him, but, um, just the way that you, the way, what we are able to see, it seems like being a father is probably like, you know, as big of a slice of his pie as, uh, as football for him. Like I'm mm -hmm. sure, you know, he's, he, like he's got all the, all the awards and all of that stuff, but like he definitely has a really good relationship with like unplugging and like taking yep. losses and stuff like that. It's just like, ah, it's just another day in the office, you know, whatever. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that he cares about what he does any less. Cause it's right. clear that he cares a lot about what he does. He just also cares a lot about other things too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. No, that's a great point. I love that. So, so we've got a couple good, really good exercises here that we can kind of take and run with. And obviously this is all directed towards helping us become more elite performers. Um, now we, we've been talking about kind of like mental performance uh, and, and I'd, I'd like to get into some more of these like hacks to maximize potential. Um, now, when we're going into these high pressure situations, We've done our training. We've we've we're, we're comfortable with our identity. Uh, we've practiced our ability to bring our awareness uh, and refocus back to uh, you know what we're doing. If if we if we do lose focus, what are some things that really help these athletes in that moment? Outside of this this original training, now, like what are some of some additional hacks that we can use that you see work effectively? One of the things that I'll do is with athletes is, you know, I, I define mental performance or like even sports psychology, which is the official field that I'm in. It's not meant for like the easy games or the games where like everything goes well. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I'll do is I'll create like a performance readiness plan, like for my athletes based on like some of the things that they struggle with. So a, a sport that I work quite a bit with is hockey, specifically hockey goalies. And we have a plan for you know, we have a plan for what happens if, a, if you know, they call it puck luck, right? Like if puck takes a bad bounce and somehow sneaks in or the D-man in front of you or, you know, the, the other team just kind of runs you out of the net or whatever it is. Like some of these just really, really challenging situations. What's your plan in that moment? What's the plan for when things go wrong? No different than like in anything, any, any other like high performance domain, you know, the military, they kind of have, they kind of got it from them, right? It's like a QRF plan, like a quick reaction force or quick reaction plan. It's very, very similar for athletes. But I think, I think Josh, the real point here is what you do on the front end definitely matters. And then it's really a matter of once you get into the game or get into that performance, allowing yourself to, where's your attention going to be placed at. And then, you know, some people call it a flow state. Some people call it being in the zone. All that really means is like how much of your attention is being placed on, on the thing that it needs to be placed on. And do you have a plan for when things are going to go wrong? Things are going to go really, really wrong. I think that's really important. And then it's just a matter of in that moment, like you ask, are you going to make the decision? Right. Cause I, I do all this work with athletes, right. All this work with athletes, 
how you know how we train them, how we prepare them, how we build out this this mental skill set, how we build out this mindset for optimal performance, how they how they go through the preparation plan. We can prepare them for in those moments, but then it really becomes a comes a matter of in that situation, are you going to hold yourself accountable? And I think that's that's really important. I think it's important to be able to have that conversation. I think that's something that you know I don't want to have like the this generation conversation, but I do think that especially with like younger athletes, I think. There, there can be a struggle with accountability um, and really just kind of being accountable to ourselves. And you had referenced one of the exercises in, you had referenced one of the exercises in that guide about the circle inside of a circle. And that's really a control, mm-hmm. a controllables exercise. Yeah. Right. I have love them that write, one. have them write down all the stuff that's like outside of their control. Um, and then what's in their control. And for many athletes and, and many people, like we're, I mean, adults are just as guilty of it as like my high school or college age athletes is many times we allow, or we, we perceive that like we're the grand puppet masters over like everything that we do. And I have athletes that operate as if they're the grand puppet master of, you know, I can completely control, you know, what the other team does or what the ref does or whatever. And they, and, and they can't, and it really, they really get and, and their attention goes to, all these things that they, that they can't control. And, and one of the, you know, um, I think Justin Sue is probably the first person that I heard, you know, kind of say this, he works, he's the mental performance guy for the Tampa Bay race. He, he speaks to, you know, if you, if you focus on the things that are outside of your control, now all of a sudden those things outside of your control, they start to control you. And that's really the test of somebody like in that moment, right? Like, are you going to allow the ref's decision or the other team or how they're being, are you going to allow them to control you or are you going to hold yourself accountable to the only thing in this situation that's in your control and that's yourself and the decisions that you make and how you choose to respond? I think that actually doing the exercise and writing those things down yeah. helps so much more than anybody would imagine because yep. we think about this all the time and, 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 you know, I'm not a super religious person, but like serenity prayer was taught to me at a young, young, younger age and, uh, you know, accept the things that you can control, change, uh, can't control, change the things you can and, and know the difference. Um, but like, and so we can tell that we can say that to ourselves, control your controllables is what I tell my clients. Yeah. But yeah. like writing it down yes. makes it real. And I think makes it a lot easier to understand that like, okay, here are the things I can control. Just focus on that. Yep. Just focus on that. And when shit goes wrong, because inevitably it will in life, I think that there's, I, I, I have this, uh, I asked this question to, to a, a lot of my clients and a lot of people in, in, in our groups about whether or not you uh, love to win or hate to lose more. Mm. You know, and I used to hate losing. I was a terrible loser until I realized a little bit later than I'd like that we have to like, we have to lose and you're only a loser if you don't learn from it. So I developed uh, a lot more resilience once I changed my mindset around loss. And I know that resilience building is something that every high performer is going to need to be able to do. So control your controllables. Sure. Do the exercises, write things down when shit goes south how do we build off of that? Yeah, I think, you know, I think anybody can, anybody that listening to this can, you know, let's say you have a bad day, right? And you're just tired or you're drained or you're just like, take a step back and do that exercise. Because again, to bring this back to awareness, mm-hmm. it doesn't do any good to, you know, it doesn't do any good to like, say, control the controllables, yada, 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 all, you know, you can insert as many buzzwords as you want into an <laughs> equation. But if you can't catch yourself doing it in the moment, does it really matter? Right. Like you can talk about mindset and you can talk about control the controllables, but if you can't do it in the moment when it matters, it's irrelevant. It's irrelevant. So, 
you have a bad day, you come home, take out a sheet of paper, write down everything that you feel like got in your way. Right. And I'll, I'll do this with, with, with my athletes too. Right. I had a, I had a terrible game. Okay. Let's write down where all the things that your attention went to. I want you to circle the things that are in your control. And I want you to draw an X to the things that are outside of your control. And almost exclusively, there's just a bunch of X's on this paper because we've allowed the thing that's outside of our control to control us. And unless you can do that over and over and over again, until you get to the point to where the next time that you're actually in that moment, before you allow yourself to just kind of, you know, I mean, what I would call like a red light state, you know, it's, it's a traffic light metaphor. We have a green, we have a yellow and we have a red before you allow yourself to go to that red light state where the, tra- where the trains off the tracks and it's just a big mess. And you need to like, you know, for some of the adults, you need like four bourbons and like a beer to like get yourself back to normal before you get there. It would probably be helpful as if in the moment you're like, oh, I'm, I'm letting my, I'm letting what my boss might potentially think of me like impact what I do, or I'm allowing the fact that my coffee took too long to like impact my, my mood or my mental state, or I'm allowing the fact that traffic was miserable again today to like impact like how it was. And it's not until you just take a step back and I'm just like, I can't do anything about this. The only thing that I can do is, is my response. The only thing that, and it's not until you can do it actually in the moment. Otherwise all the buzzwords in the world aren't going to help you. I, I fucking love this because I'm well, one, you're the traffic light uh, metaphor is like the, the green, yellow and red. I'm immediately thinking of my window of tolerance. Like I'm, I'm green, I'm yellow. I'm in high arousal. Yeah. I'm red. I'm shut down. And once I'm red, it's like, dude, it takes a lot for me to get back. Right. Um, but dude, I'm thinking of like, I, I do, I should, I should do this all the time. I should, like if I don't know if you guys have a product that is like essentially a sheet to be able to organize this on of like what we can control and what we can't. You should brand that and like 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 add that to a guide because I would love to be able to just like have a notepad and I'll do this. But like have a bad workout, cool. Write down everything that you can control. Why do you have a bad workout? Ex- exactly. And just like everything else, I mean, I think relationships are an easy way to think of this. Like you have a problem arising in your relationship. You talk it out. You get to the root cause of the problem. You're more aware of it for next time. You can see it coming. You can avoid it before it happens. Yep. The same thing. So, so I'm thinking... I'm going to do this for every bad workout. I'm going to do this for every, like, you know, maybe bad's not the right word, but every time something doesn't go right in my workout, my training, my business, my relationships, every time I'm thinking it would be super valuable to go through this exercise just to be aware. And I'll even bring it back to you because I know you were, you were vulnerable enough to share like, you know, the anxiety piece of things, right? Mm-hmm. This can easily be, and listen, I'm not in mental health. I'm in resilience, which I think is, I'd like to be on the proactive side of mental health. But I think that like, think about you as somebody who maybe struggles at times with anxiety, right? So now we're not even talking about things that have happened to you. We're talking about things that may or may not come it's to pass good. that certainly aren't in your control, but yet you're allowing those thoughts and those potential scenarios to control you in this moment. And there's no guarantee that those things are even going to happen. And that by definition is anxiety. Mm -hmm. Anxiety is really the fear of potential distress in the future, right? It's the fear of, of future distress. And it's really a powerful thing to be able to say, well, even if that does happen, that's not my control or take a step back and say, all right, Let's do this. Let's, I, I like to do it with my athletes. You know, you kind of doubt the doubt or you challenge the fear, right? Or you play out that worst case scenario. Okay. Let's say this thing that I'm anxious about 
you know, my wife is really, really good at doing this, right? She's the, I mean, she's far more successful and way out of my league than I, or way out of my league, but she, you know, she runs a company. She runs a company. It's like a $12 million company. They're stressed every single day. And I'll see her actively do this, right? Like she's an incredibly high performer. I'll see her actively do this, right? Like call won't get scheduled. Call ran long. This is going wrong. This is going wrong. And then you'll see it, right? She'll literally verbalize like, but you know what? This is what we're going to do. This is what I got to do. And, and the rest of it is what it is. And, and you'll see her get anxious too, right? Like, oh, what if this doesn't come to pass? What if, but you know what? We'll figure it out when we get there. There's a little bit of stoicism and I, I, we certainly don't have time to go down this rabbit hole, but I, I, love, I love stoic principles, the principles mm-hmm. of stoicism, which is really, you know, you hear a lot of great sport coaches like kind of reference stoicism. Stoicism is really this mentality of whatever be, whatever, whatever's going to be is going to be. And I'll figure it out because I'm capable enough to figure it out when I get there. You know, that's really stoicism in a nutshell is you've got all this future stuff. You've got these anxious thoughts about the future. I think a lot of people would really, you know, would really help a lot of the a lot of anxiety in, in the anxiousness if they were really to, to read some stoic philosophy, adopt some of those stoic, stoic principles, do some of those exercises to say, OK, let's say these four or five things that you're worried about do come to pass. What, what actions are you going to take to move yourself to a better position? And then you realize that all of a sudden these anxious thoughts or these fears or these worries or these emotions, they don't really have that much control over us because, all right, let's say it happens. Here's what I'm going to do about it anyway. Mm-hmm. That that's, that's highly impactful. I really appreciate you sharing that um, because I, like, like you said, I'm very open about my mental health struggles. Yeah. And, and I think that it, it's helpful for yeah. a lot of other people to yeah. know that, well, one, they're not alone Two, There's all of these great resources yes. to be able to improve upon them. Yeah. Um, but I, I like the stoic train of thought because Travis and I, we say this all the time. It's like, it's going to be fine. Like no matter yeah. what happens, yeah. it's going to be fine. And we know that we can still know that. And I can still feel a little bit of anxiety, yeah. but at least I know when I'm, I'm, a thousand percent confident that it's going to be fine. Yeah. So I think like, even instead of like, all right, if this happens, I'm going to be fine. I would, I would substitute that with, if, if that, even if that happens, I'm capable. Mm -hmm. If this thing that that I'm so afraid of happens, I'm capable of figuring that out. I've done Mm -hmm. it before. I like that. I like that. That's like, let's make it like a very simple thing, right? Because I think one of the things that we talk about or that we get tied up with emotions is that when we feel an emotion, we feel like we have to change it. Right. If I feel anxious, I feel like I need to get rid of the anxiety. No, 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 no. You just need to make sure that the anxiety doesn't control your action. Mm -hmm. Right. And this applies to any emotion. You get angry, frustrated, discouraged, fearful, worried, doubt, whatever it is. You're allowed to feel how you feel. Josh is allowed to be anxious, but Josh isn't allowed to allow that anxiety to impact the actions that he takes. And as long Mm -hmm. as he holds himself accountable to that, eventually he's going to realize that the anxiety doesn't have as much control over him as he's afraid that it might. Mm hmm. I, I think that this is something, and what you just touched on is something that I literally just learned this year. That you know, when when we're feeling emotions, it does, like you said, it doesn't mean we have to get rid of them. We can be friends with all of these things. I'm becoming friends with my anxiety. When when we get angry, with, like everything's trying to tell us something, and like we talked touched on earlier on in the conversation, like all of these things can be harnessed as superpowers if we understand them better. Um, but the better we understand them, the more aware we are of them to touch back on the awareness piece, the better we are, that we are able to use them as superpowers. We're going to become more elite. That's the direction that we should be headed in is to be able to understand and be aware. Every single emotion is trying to create a specific reality, 
Mm-hmm. Right. The anxiety, the fear and the worry, it's trying to convince you of a reality that may or may not come to pass. The question is, are you going to choose to believe it? And you know whether or not you can answer that question, whether or not you choose to believe it by based on the actions that you take. Right. It really comes back to what actions do you choose to take either that are emotionally driven, right, or that are value driven. So, you know, I mean, a quick little example here, emotionally driven action, right? Baseball player strikes out, gets frustrated, snaps the baseball bat over his, over his, over his, over his knee, right? Emotionally or value driven action, right? Parent gets mad at young child, right? Gets really, really frustrated and they take a step back. They go for a walk, take a value driven action, right? It's just whether or not we allow our emotions or how we feel to impact what we do. And many times people, people will feel, feel fear or feel worry or feel, feel doubt. And then their actions are all about trying to get rid of that feeling. Right. And it's all emotionally driven. And then now you've gone down that rabbit hole and your emotions are now controlling you. Whereas if you just took a step back and said, Hey, this is how I'm feeling. Can you recognize, can you name that emotion? As I'm sure many of the, um, as I'm sure you've been working on, can you name that emotion? And then you, you can ask yourself, well, what is the best version of me do in this situation? And then are you going to hold yourself accountable to that action? And sometimes that's just taking a step back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that can be hard to do because yeah. a lot of times it's easier said than done first. much easier said than done. Yeah. Especially when you're in that emotionally driven state, you know, action is what you want to take in some way because action is going to help reduce anxiety, but it has to be the right action. But it, but it goes back to again, awareness. Can you create enough space? to where it's just not automatic. I mean, all a mindset is other than just a super flashy buzzword on Instagram that gets a lot of likes and a lot of shares. All a mindset is, is a pattern of way of thought. It's the pattern way that we think or the pattern way that we respond to a situation. So if you want to change your mindset, you're gonna have to break some nasty little thought habits, right? And one of the thought habits is truly, I feel this way, I respond this way. You need to get to a place where I feel this way and I have a choice as to whether or not I'm going to respond in this manner or of more productive manner, but you can't be that way unless you're aware of it and you can't become more aware unless you work at it. Yes. And it's these little things like we've talked about today. It's, it's the stuff that people probably don't want to do. No, that makes all the difference, but you know, in any, in achieving any significant level of greatness, um, I think that it is often assumed that there are very big pieces that create greatness when in reality, it's a lot of very small things done time and time again. And that adds up to greatness. You know, nobody gets in the best shape of their life in a month because they like took a couple shortcuts. It's, it's very small mindfulness. It's sleep, it's digestion, it's training, it's nutrition. It's all these little tiny things. You ever read the book on mastery different? George what is Leonard, it? Mastery by Leonard. No. George Leonard. It's a, fa- it's a fantastic read. It'd be something for you and your community to definitely check out. It's it's basically the how, how you know, we've heard the 10,000 hour rule, that sort of thing, but it's really kind of the process to become a master at like any one thing, right? So if, for example, anybody goes out and pick the, picks up the game of golf, right? From where you are to maybe after your first couple lessons, you're going to have a big spike in growth and in, in being able to get better. But after a year, after two years, after 10 years, the spikes are much smaller in the plateaus and how long you kind of sit on that plateau. So it's not a linear curve. It's a series of steps and the steps get smaller and the plateaus get longer. And and, and basically his point in the book is to truly become a master at something you have to become, you have to start to love the plateaus more than you love the spikes of the growth. 
Yeah, is basically mm-hmm. the premise. So I kind of spoiled the book for you. I know. I know. I love that. I think of uh, as as a bodybuilder, powerlifter. I think of Hafthor Bjornsson, yes. who trained an entire year to add one pound to his deadlift to break his own world. One pound. One pound. One freaking pound. Think about how and, long pro golfers, or how long eventually, you know, Tiger Woods. You know, when he was at his peak, how long it took him to shave off a half a stroke. A yeah. half a stroke. It is insane. And like how much of a percentage gain that is too. Like, I don't know what he was deadlifting, but like one pound on like my deadlift is a lot more, is a lot higher of a percent than one pound onto his deadlift. <laughs> then tw- then, then 1,033 yeah. pounds. You're talking about yeah. like a fraction of a percent. 1,033. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Absurd. Yeah. Like 0.01%. Yeah. And the only way that you do that is if you fall in love with the chase mm-hmm. of that one pound, not the mm-hmm. getting of the pound, because the getting is momentarily, the chase is eventually perpetual, you know? Man, this is this has been powerful. This hour, to be honest, I just looked down to see that it was an hour. This hour flew yeah, it did. by. <laughs> Man, yeah, it did. <laughs> yeah, this was phenomenal. I, you know, we'll probably have to do a part two because I mean, we have, I have a lot more questions. I think we could go on for a lot longer. Um, and I'd like to keep in touch with you, keep in close touch with you. Absolutely. It was a pleasure um, as as someone who wants to continuously improve my performance. So thank you so much, man. Thank you. It was Um, an absolute pleasure guys. I appreciate that. Now, before we let you go, I know our listeners are going to want to learn more about you. Uh, you are right up their alley. So I want to give you a chance to give yourself the plug. Like where can people have learned more about you? Where can they find you? Everything. Easiest place. It's all in one spot. Train with perk. Perk is P E R C. So I'm sure you'll have it in the show notes. It's trainwithperk.com. Um, there's a lot more resources. I've got like a, a YouTube channel that's more on kind of the, the developing athlete side, but you can kind of reach out to me. There's a contact page, just kind of get a hold of me that way. But there's a lot, there's a lot of stuff over there. There'll be more stuff over there. I'm taking a little bit of a sabbatical here this month to get back after it again after the new year. But train with perk, perk is P E R C.com. There you go. So you'll find awesome. that free guide over there too. Awesome. I love it. Yeah, everybody, I highly recommend you go check out that free guide. Go to that website. We'll put the link in the show notes. It's a free download. Um, and then you'll have access to everything that Jay has to offer. But man, I, I again, I really appreciate it. It's been a super valuable episode for me. So I, I hope that it is for all the listeners. So to everybody who's tuned in to this episode of the Struggle to Strength podcast, we appreciate you all. And we will see you next week. 